All right, I think I'm back on here. We are going to be in Acts chapter 21 and through 22. Acts chapter 21 through 22. So last week we talked about friendology or friend day. And I actually got quite a few comments on that. And uh, so if you missed that message, you can go on to YouTube. It's, you can find that on the digital bulletin too. We have a link there on the website. Um, so if you missed it, I'd encourage you to do it. I, I think um, it just really connected with people. So um, sometimes you don't know how a message is going to impact and hit people. And uh, so that's good comments there. So I encourage you to look that one up. Today we're going to be back in Acts. We're getting close to finishing up Acts. We're going to probably have a few more messages, and then we'll probably turn our focus to um, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Can you believe that? I'm even talking about that. Somebody said there's already Christmas decorations. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, they, they, want, they want your money, don't they? I know I like Christmas and I love Thanksgiving, but um, yeah. Let's enjoy fall first, right? All right. <laughs> All right, so where we're at today on, in Acts, I'm going to find my place here, is uh, the, I guess two weeks ago we, were, um, we had the message and we looked at um, Paul, we looked at Eutychus being raised from the dead, uh, so we talked about that, and then Paul goes on to Jerusalem. And so um, in the last part of chapter 21 is where we'll pick things up, verse 37, and then we go into the first part of chapter 22. So this wraps up his third missionary journey. He, he goes to Jerusalem, and everybody is telling him to what? Go to Jerusalem or not? No. They're saying, hey, don't go, right? And, but he has prophets, and the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, there's going to be some difficult times that are that are going to happen in when you get to Jerusalem and everybody says hey Paul we love you don't go but Paul says I'm going to go so the the last message was a life surrendered to God and how Paul still obeyed the spirit of God even though he knew that it was going to be a difficult some difficult events were about to transpire and we kind of ended that message and Paul will say later on he says you know what he goes, I know you all thought that me going to Jerusalem was a bad idea. And you know what? Being arrested, you know, I, that wasn't probably one of my favorite things to do. But he goes to Rome and he says, you know what? That is all work to advance the gospel. Because now I am able to share Christ in a place that I wouldn't have been able to go to with people that I wouldn't have been able to rub shoulders with or even talk to. So if you read on, he talks to the king Agrippa, a king in Rome. Um, he gets to appeals to Caesar, so to have his case heard. He gets to talk before some of the most powerful people in the world because he was willing to go through some hardships and be obedient to God. Um, I think we need to remember that. I think God wants to bless us. I think he has intents to be with us uh, and to love us. But that doesn't mean that sometimes God is going to manifest Himself in a powerful way through our times of suffering and difficulties in our life. Amen? And I know that's not uh, um, all what we want to hear, but it is the truth that sometimes God, Christ is going to be the most glorified in your life through the valleys you walk through. All right? 
the key thing is that God isn't going to leave you to go through that by yourself. He's going to walk with you. So um, he goes to Jerusalem. Some Jewish people see him there and they say, hey, he took a Gentile into the temple somewhere on his missionary journeys, probably in Asia. We saw him take somebody into the temple. They just saw him with the Gentile guy. And that was a big no-no to take a Gentile into the temple. And so Paul hadn't broken any laws. They just assumed that because Paul was with him, he took him into the temple. Anyway, a riot happens. They're beating him. They're trying to kill him. And then the Roman government, the soldiers that are there holding peace in Jerusalem step in. So that's where we pick it up. All right, in verse 37. And I've entitled the message this morning, Testify. And what I want us to look at is some universal principles that we can find in this passage that have to do with us sharing our story with other people. Paul does that, and so we're going to look at his story, but also how can we take some of those things and and implement them into our life as we share our story with people who don't know Christ. Amen? So let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day, dear God. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that is here with us. And so, Lord God, make your word come alive to us. Uh, Let it speak to us. Let it challenge us. And uh, let it uh, transform us into who you've called us to be, we pray, dear God. We ask it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Verse 37, chapter 21. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, so Luke is writing this, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek, he replied? Are you the Egyptian? Aren't you the Egyptian who started the revolt and led 4,000 terrorists into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Sicily, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. And after receiving the commander's permission, Paul went to the steps, motioned to the crowd, and when They were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic. So kind of make note of that, Aramaic, a language of the day. Brothers and fathers, listen to me now to my defense. And when they had heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became what? Quiet. They became quiet. You know, Paul knew several different languages that we know of, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Uh, Maybe you've heard of Greek and Hebrew. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, right? New Testament's written in Greek. And then you have uh, the Septuagint that is written. It's the Old Testament written in Greek, all right? Um, So what is Aramaic? What is Aramaic? It's what? It's beautiful. (laughs) Uh, The Old Testament, so... um, in the Old Testament, Hebrew was spoken, but after the Assyrian invasion, we've talked about that before, right around 722 B.C., so before Christ, um, the northern kingdom of Assyria comes down and takes captive northern Israel. Okay? Because of their disobedience, because they didn't obey God, they would come down and take that northern ten tribes of Israel. And so um, Armenian, Assyria, that language then would kind of filter through the the population. 586, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, takes the southern part of the kingdom of Israel, Judah, Jerusalem. 
and they go off to Babylon for 70 years. So Hebrew be- then became extinct, although they knew it because they, that's what the Old Testament was written in. But the language uh, that had become normal for that day was Aramaic. So Aramaic and Hebrew are very closely related. They come from the same original languages, okay, Semitic languages. And so it's very similar to Hebrew. And, uh, but it had become the language of the day for the Jewish population in Jerusalem. So could Paul have spoken to them in Greek? He could have, right? But he speaks to them in Aramaic. Why? Because it was the language of the people of Judah and the people he was speaking to. So if you're taking notes, the first principle I see if we are going to share our story and if we're going to testify what God has done in our life is know your audience. Know your audience. Now, if Paul was speaking to the Gentiles, what language might he have used? Aramaic? He probably had to use Greek, right? Because he wanted to connect with them. But because he was speaking to the Jewish people uh, that lived in that area, he spoke to them in Aramaic. You have to speak their language. Now, if you're sharing your story, your testimony with someone, you have to speak their language figuratively and literally, right? Um, so, uh, we, Victor and Yolanda, were here, and they'll probably be back. They're probably checking on the tank there, all right? Um, but if I was trying to lead somebody to Christ that speaks Spanish, okay, and that can happen in our community, right? But if I'm speaking English, are they going to get much of my story? I can go on and on in English, and there's probably going, unless they know English and Spanish, right? But even with Victor and Yolanda, who we've been in ministry with them almost 17 years, they've been working with us. Um, Victor will catch some of the things I say, <laughs> um, but sometimes I have to repeat it, all right? Abdiel, you do, you do pretty good. He's pretty bilingual. Michelle, his daughter, is exceptional, right? Because she's learned it at a young age. But if I was trying to lead somebody to the Lord that... My mainly knows Spanish, and I'm speaking English. It's not going to get very far. And, you know, I could say, hola, you know, hi, and gracias, thank you. <laughs> they probably wouldn't understand the rest of my Spanish, all right, because I am not very good at it. My wife would do a little bit better. Um, but you have to speak their language. In our culture in North America, you can even take that further because there's various ways that I can speak English, right? So if I say, you all... What is, where does that mean? Where does that hint that I'm from? I'm from the South, right? Right? So even within our culture in North America, we can, there's different regions where we have some of our own distinct characteristics. Guatemala, so my wife teaches students from Guatemala, and there's how many different variances of? 26. So the, the, and that's not Spanish either. It's kind of Spanish, but they have 26 different dialects within Guatemala. 26, all right? Um, so if I say about, where, where would I be from? About, North Dakota, right? Bob Johnson caught that, right? Yeah, and I was just up at Trinity, up in Ellendale, North Dakota, and there, boy, there were some of the people there that really had a good, strong Scandinavian accent. Yeah, <laughs> about. Now, what about I said, hey, he had a good fishing, eh? Canada. So we'd go up and fish Canada every year, Memorial Day weekend. We'd go up, our family would go up to Canada. And that was the only, 
Yeah, how you doing, eh? You know, they always follow with that A, you know. You're from Canada, right? Um, and then you had, they had a French. You know, the French is kind of, um, especially the further east you get, uh, the French um, dialect uh, languages it impacts that area as well. So when you're sharing your story, understand your audience. Am I talking to children? Am I talking to adults? Am I talking to people that are, that are farmers and ranchers? Or am I talking to people that are from the city? All those things are going to impact how I communicate my story. Now, the religious leaders during Jesus' day would teach the people. They were teaching them and teaching them and teaching them. But often it was going right over their head. And they didn't have access to the Greek and the Hebrew because Scripture was in the temple. So they didn't have their own copy of God's Word. So they were reliant upon the religious leaders and the people teaching them. And often they would use terms, it would be like, I'm giving you all this Greek and it's going right over your head, right? But how did Jesus teach? Often he taught them using what? Parables. And he would talk about a farmer sowing wheat, right? He talked about a rock built upon, a house built upon the rock. He used parables. He used terminology that they could connect with that the everyday person could say, oh yeah, I I can understand that. He talked about fishing, right? He did, right? Talked about fishing. But he used those, those word pictures to help them understand Scripture. And so the people enjoyed what he had to say because they actually came away with something that they could understand. I think... If we are going to share our story with people, we have to know who we are talking to. All right? Know who we're talking to and adjust to that and uh, your audience. Do the best to communicate to them on their level. Right? Number two. Let's look at verses three through five. Three through five. There it is. Then Paul says, I am a Jew born of Tarsus of Sicily, brought, but brought up in this city. So he's saying, hey, I grew up in Jerusalem. I stundered under Gamaliel, and I realize that probably means nothing to most of you, but Gamaliel was one of the top Pharisee teachers in Jerusalem. He was the guru of, uh, of teaching there. Man, if you could learn under Gamaliel, you were learning under the best. And was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are there today. And why were they beating him up and trying to kill him? Because they were zealous for the law. And you remember that Paul also did that, so he talks about that. All right? I persecuted the followers of this way, those that were following Christ, to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. And as the high priests and all the council had can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. What is Paul saying? He says, man, this is my life before Christ. This is who I'm one of you. I see that you are zealous for the law, that you love God and you want to fulfill the law. That's the way I was before I knew Christ and came to experience the risen Christ. I was like you. I grew up here. I understand you. I was raised under your teacher. I was, I was used to the meticulous observance of the law as you are. And you wonder how meticulous were they in following the law? 
So we talked about tithing and giving. So they would tithe off of their mint and their spices from the garden. Okay? How many are you doing that? Okay? You're not doing that. Karen, did you tithe off your zucchini? You did not. Okay. They were so meticulous that they would take their mint, and we had mint, and what are the other ones we're doing? Thyme. We grew those, and we dried them up. They were so meticulous that they would weigh that out on scales to make sure that they were given exactly a tenth. They were, they were that strict in their observance of the law, right? And so, and Paul was in that stream as well. That's why he was going out and he was persecuting the believers that were following Christ because he saw them as taking away from the tradition that he had been raised with and with what he had been taught. And he did it zealously. I mean, it was at his hands that Stephen would be killed and stoned to death. Along with others that would be killed, thrown into prison, their, their livelihoods taken from them. The second principle is tell people about your life before Christ. That's what Paul's doing. He's telling them about his life before Christ. Why? Well, it helps you to connect your story with their story, right? Usually there's something in your story that's going to connect with them, whether it's the way you were raised, where you were raised, um, some of the things you encountered. Those things help attach your story to their story. Tell them about your life before Christ. Each of us has a story about your life before Christ. Now, I remember praying the prayer when I was age five. So my story before Christ isn't, you know, I was a young boy that got into mischief, okay? <laughs> and my mom can test to testify to that, all right? I didn't go out and do drugs and alcohol. I didn't do those things. But I was a young boy that needed Jesus. And at age five... I surrendered my life to Him. And then I had ups and downs going through middle school and high school. Um, I feel like God was faithful in all that. Moved up to Alaska and then came down to Bible college. Got on a better track with my life spiritually in Bible college. Called to ministry. But it's our story that's going to help us connect with people. Tell them your story. Maybe you grew up in a home with no Christian influence, but then you found Christ through a friend or a family member. Maybe you learned from the school of hard knocks. Any of you learned from that school? All right. Yeah. But tell them about your life before Christ. Maybe you were raised in a good home and then left God and then found your way back. What is your story? I can guarantee you that there's people out there that are in the same place as you are before you came to Christ. And as you tell your story, it'll connect with them. The only thing that I would caution you on, and um, I've heard, especially people that have went down a dark path, that um, there's, you need to get the point across, but you don't need to go too far down that path. All right, what do I mean by that? You can get to the place where you put all the attention on the, all the things you did bad, and you can glorify the sin and we lose track of what God has done in our life. Paint the picture. Give enough details to say, hey, this is where I was before Christ. But you don't have to give all the nitty-gritty details, right? Um, I toured once with a... He was a young man at that point. And he actually reached out to me here the last several months. He somehow found my phone number, gave me a call. 
And he, I think he was passing through Nebraska or something. No, he was up in North Dakota. And I took him fishing. He, so he, we did these high school programs. We'd go in and do three high school programs, and then we'd do an evening rally. And God really used him. But he was a, he was a young man. Uh, he was in high school. His father had passed away, died when he was in high school. And he was very close to his dad, and he just he wasn't able to. It was just a really a difficult thing for him to deal with. And so he got drunk one day, went to his father's uh, graveside, took, uh, took his rifle and tried to end it all. Well, it, it caught part of his face, but it did not kill him. So, he, you know, he, he would talk about, yeah, they took bone from him back here and put it up here, made a new jaw. And, you know, so he has scars up here, but he told the story. And so he would tell that and he then, you know, all that, he really got into drugs and alcohol. And I remember him telling those stories in the schools. Um, and God would use him. But there's a fine line. Because you can talk too much about the sin and people going, oh, wow, yeah. You know, you have to leave room for what God has done in your life. Does that make sense? Okay. And God, I mean, I would, when we'd have the evening services, I remember in the community where we pastored up there in North Dakota, 300 people responded. And we were a small community the size of Wilbur, 2,000. And 300 people from all across the community uh, responded. Not just not all that were in attendance. That, that those responded that night. That was pretty, pretty cool. Of course, it created problems. Not everybody wanted to see, to see people come to Christ, but that's okay. Yeah. And that was all in a high school gymnasium. Isn't that cool? Amen. Know your audience. Tell them about your life before Christ. And then verses 6 through 21. This is a little bit longer part here. It says about, so Paul's going to tell his encounter with Christ. He said about noon, so he's on his way to Damascus. He has letters in hand. He's going to gather up Christians that are there and either persecute them, put them in jail, whatever the case may be, Okay. So he's on his way to Damascus. It's about noon. Suddenly a bright light from heaven splashed around me. Okay? I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He replied. My companions saw the light, but they couldn't understand the voice of him that was speaking to me. Verse 10. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord says, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you've been assigned to do. God has homework for him. Verse 11, my companions led me by the hand into Damascus. He can't see, right? Because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. Verse 12, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. And he stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. So he prays for him. And at that very moment, I was able to see, <coughs> in one of other Paul's accounts, he tells the story several times in Acts, it says like scales came off of his eyes, and he's able to see. Verse 14, then he said, the God of our ancestors was, has chosen you now to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words of his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of all that you've seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized, okay? So we got the tank out there. Wash your sins away. Call on His name. And then it says that He returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple, and I fell in a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, 
He says, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison. And, they be- and I beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. Excuse me here. Paul tells about his encounter with Christ. That's the third point. You want to know your audience. You want to tell them about your life before Christ, but you also want to tell them about the encounter with Christ. That's probably the most important thing. They're all important, but this part is specifically important. And as Paul tells them this, they, he has their ear. They are listening. Okay? They began to tune him out when he said, hey, God sent me to the Gentiles. And they said, well, yeah, they didn't like that part. But up to that point, they were listening. And I believe that there's some there that day that heard his words and they wanted to know more. Tell them about your encounter with Christ. Each of your stories is unique and powerful. And I know some of your stories. Some of them I don't. But some of you, you've told me your stories of how you came to know Christ. Karen, is it okay if I share just a little bit about yours? Karen was raised in the church and then got married, just stopped going to church. I don't think she was a bad, ugly sinner, but she just, God wasn't part of her life. And then one day she showed up at our church. Uh, something brought her here and then she accepted, re- rededicated her life to Christ. And then she began to bring her daughters. And one of them now is a pastor in Fairbury and serving God there. But it's a great story. It's a great story. Um, I know a little bit about Janet's. I know Jason's. I know Jason's. How God was working in his life. And uh, it was kind of a difficult moment. And I remember that call when you called me and said, Hey, I need to get my life right with God. Yeah. You all have a story. And it's powerful. When I was in Bible college, we had to take a class on evangelism. Evangelism explosion, it was called. How to lead someone to Christ. It was a good class. Um, it was a good class. But it was more kind of a, you follow, it was kind of like a sales pitch. And I don't want to take away from it, but it was kind of like you, you follow the script type of deal of how to lead somebody to Christ. It's a little bit like the Mormons are trying to do when they come to your door or Jehovah Witnesses. Um, so I believe God had used it powerfully and is maybe still using it powerfully. But here's the deal. I think there's nothing more powerful than sharing your personal story, your testimony. There, there, there's something that is powerful. Why? First of all, it's your story. It's not a canned script. When it is your story, people will listen and they will give your ear. They may not believe. They may not accept it. They may still go do their own thing, but there's something powerful about your story, your specific story. People will listen. Secondly, when you talk to people in their language and they understand, and you let them know about your life before Christ and your encounter with Christ, you testify to God's goodness and the power to change and transform any life, including theirs. Um. You know, most studies show that most people come to Christ through TV evangelists. 
Roger's shaking his head no. How do people, most people come to know Christ? Friend or family? Friend or family? Um, that's how most people come to know Christ. And it's not just a small margin. It's like a huge margin. Only a few, like 2, 3, 4, 5% come to know Christ through online stuff. Most people come to know Christ through a personal witness, through a friend or a family member that tells them about Christ, brings them to church, uh, shares Christ with them. That is still the most powerful means of sharing God's grace with people that do not know. And see, the thing is, in our culture, if you haven't heard the gospel on the radio, TV, internet, TikTok, see how I threw TikTok in there? Because some of you, how many, how many of you older adults watch TikTok? I don't go on there, but see, Michelle raised her hand, right? Yeah, she's listening. Even though I can't see her head, she's listening there. Um, see, there are different means of communication there, right? And they've probably heard the gospel witness, but there's nothing more powerful than when somebody tells you their story and what God did in their, li- their life. Um, I was watching ESPN game day. I don't know if any of you watched that. Nebraska hasn't been getting much airtime there <laughs> lately. Um, but in that, they're talking about teams and all, and all that. They're highlighting Duke. Duke and Notre Dame is the game that they were highlighting. They were actually at Notre Dame. There wasn't a huge crowd there, you know. And they're in Nebraska or some of these other places. There's a huge crowd. But Duke isn't known for football. But And I don't think they quite edged it out yesterday, right? They lost, I think. It wasn't a terrible game, but they um, Notre Dame was, I think, looking better. I didn't watch the end of the game, so volleyball one. But, but in the middle of that, they had two stories that I saw. One was from a coach in Utah. Uh, he had been coaching someplace else, and his wife, his first wife, had died of cancer. And um, sometime after that, a while later, he, he uh, met another lady. He got remarried. He took the job at Utah. And God had, I mean, I don't know if he's a believer. He seemed to have some faith there. Um, but their team had done well in Utah. Things were going well. And then one day he got the call. And the assistant coach was kind of telling it that they got a call. They couldn't find his son, his 21-year-old son that was uh, with his brother down in Texas. And um, they got into his apartment realized that he had taken his own life. He had shot himself. And he just talks about that. And so not only he was probably there still in the back of his mind, you know, grieving the loss of his first wife, and then now his 21-year-old son. He had, there was no, they just didn't see any signs. He just, he took his own life. And it was a wake-up call for him, and he even talked to his team. And, and through that process, a couple of the team members came forward and talked about their, their wrestling with suicide, and they even shared their story. But I thought, you know what? There was something powerful. You know, they, they were talking about all the statistics, who's going to win this game, who's going to win that. But to me, the most powerful time of those, that two to three hours that they were on line was that story about that coach him telling a story. And then they also did an interview with the, the uh, quarterback for Duke. And, uh, you know, he just, um, he goes, I got tired of everybody telling me how great I was. He goes, I needed somebody that was going to be honest with me. So his mom says, I will. So she would send him a message and a, she would send him a text message and say, you suck, you know, just, <laughs> just as a kind of a reality call. And, and uh, 
You know, I, I even appreciate he was having a tough game yesterday because Notre Dame was just really, their defense was really taking it to him. But I was pretty impressed. The kid had a lot of resilience, and he kept a good attitude. And um, Stories. What's your story? What's your story? And how could it impact the lives of other people? Currently in our culture today, got a few minutes left here. Um, it is politically not correct to share and to witness. Did you know that? The, the, the millennials, the younger age, they've kind of developed this idea that for you to share your faith with somebody else isn't politically correct. All right? And so that makes evangelism, sharing Christ with other people, it's, it's kind of like it's going counter-cultural, right? Um, but I have a feeling a lot of you do things that aren't politically correct. I know some of you. <laughs> so my question is, why tell someone about Jesus? Why tell somebody about Jesus? Well, first of all, Jesus said, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus gives that to the disciples. I believe that extends to us still today. But I thought that was the pastor's job. Well, it is. But it's more my job because I'm a follower of Christ, not so much because I'm a pastor. My pastors prepare you so that you share your faith as well. If it's dependent upon just pastors sharing their faith, I can guarantee you what Jesus wrote there will never be accomplished. It's only as you and I together share our faith with other people. I think another reason is that we should share faith is that heaven is real and so is hell. We did a survey when the early stages, first year or two of the church being launched, so around 17, 18 years ago. We did the survey. We kind of just went around town, the college and around town and said, hey, do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell? We got their interviews. We even gave them a little cash if they were willing to allow us to videotape them. So majority of the people believed in heaven. But that number dra- dropped significantly when it was about hell. Oh, no, hell's not real. Heaven is, but not hell. Um, Scripture is pretty clear that both of them are a reality. And I want us to listen to a parable that Jesus told. Luke 16, 19 through 31. He says, there was a rich man, and I can have the musicians come. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple. That means he was dressed in the nicest clothes of the day. And he had fine linen. Okay, so he had the most expensive clothes. And he lived in luxury every day. Lobster, shrimp, wagyu beef. What else? Caviar. And at his gate was a beggar. And his name was Lazarus. He was covered with sores. He longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. He didn't even want, man, just give me the scraps to fall to the floor. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. You know, they were more gracious to him than this rich man was. Verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side in heaven. So, if you want to be technical about it, that would be P1. 
paradise. Jesus says to, to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Sometimes we also call that Abraham's bosom, okay? It's where your spirit goes when you die, okay? At the end of the judgment, then we have heaven and hell where our spirit and our body go, okay? Did you know the resurrection happens to the saved and unsaved? Hell is for not only your spirit, but your body. Heaven is for your spirit and body as well. We'll have a heavenly body. Until then, we're in paradise and in Hades. The rich man also died, and he was buried. And in Hades, where he was in what? He's in torment. And he looked up, and he saw Abraham far away. And he saw who by his side? Lazarus. And so he called out to him, Hey, Abraham! Have pity on me. Send Lazarus over. Let him dip his finger in some cold water and put it on my tongue. Because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember in your lifetime you received good things. And while Lazarus lived, he received All right, this is on. But now he is comforted here while you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you are a great, is a great chasm that has been put in place so that no one can go from here to there and cross over from there to us. Verse 27. But he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they also may not come to this place of torment. Send Lazarus back. Abraham replied, they have Moses and they have the prophets. They have the word of God. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham. If somebody from the dead goes to them, they will repent. They will listen. Verse 31. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone is raised from the dead. You know what? Each of us only has one life to live. We only have one life to tell family, to tell friends, to tell people without Christ that there's a Savior that loves them and has the power to save and transform them. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid. And maybe people haven't listened to presentations of the gospel. Maybe they haven't listened to Pastor Brent on TV, YouTube, whatever. They haven't listened to social media or the radio. Blah, blah, blah. Maybe they haven't listened to the messages they heard growing up in church. But you know what? Maybe they'll listen to your story. Especially if you have a relationship and connection with them, to testify about His grace, His mercy, His power to save. You never know if it's your story that'll break through. Amen? And you may say, you know what? I don't have much of a story. You know what? You don't know that. You know what? My story is this, my story is about one of God's saving grace and parents that loved me, prayed for me, and even through some valleys that God sustained me and he was faithful. 
For some of you, it's about God reaching down from and grabbing you out of the pit and lifting you up, healing and delivering you. That's your story, and I believe that God can use it for his glory. Amen? Amen. Would you stand this morning? I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. Some of you prayed that last week, and maybe there's somebody here today that you don't know Christ as your Lord and your Savior. If you were to die today, you don't know if you have the hope of heaven. And I believe Scripture is very clear that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have the hope of heaven. Scripture says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. End of story. And we begin that journey of walking with him and to know him as our Lord and our Savior. And I'm going to give that opportunity today. Today may be your day of salvation. And so would you all just join and pray with me, especially if, if that is you today, that you are praying that for the first time or rededicating your life to Christ. Let's pray together, saying, Dear God, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. Be my Lord and my Savior. Be my friend. And walk with me each day of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So with every eye closed, but if you prayed that for the first time today and you meant it with your heart, would you just look at me? I'm just going to scan the crowd. Would you just make eye contact with me? Amen. Okay. Amen. Praise God. Amen. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us here today. I pray for the rest of us. We all have a story. And I know there's times that we've been reluctant to share our story. We don't feel like, I, I, I'm not like Pastor Brent. I don't know all the right terms. But I don't think we have to know all the t- right terms. Any of us can tell a story. And we can tell our story in ways that people can understand. And we can tell them, hey, this is what my life was before I knew Jesus. And this is what Jesus came into my life and this is what he did. Do you want to follow him too? It is that simple. And Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit, your strength, uh, just to open up doors for us to share our story, to bring people to Christ, because there is a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid. And Lord God, you've given us that opportunity to be a light in this world. We give you thanks, we give you praise. In your name we ask, amen. going to do a closing prayer, but if you just raise your hand, if you're just saying, hey, I just want to be a greater witness to testify of who God is, what he's done in my life, and then I want God to open up divine, just divine opportunities to share my story with people. Would you just raise your hand this morning? I'm going to pray for you. Lord God, you see the hands that are raised, and Lord God, you are the one that can just give us those divine moments to communicate with people. It can be so simple. Lord God, and Lord God, that we can just sense your Holy Spirit just flowing through us, Lord God. Realize it's not us, it's God, you're just flowing through us. And Lord God, we just pray that you would open up doors for us to share our story.
with people who need you, the need to have a relationship with Christ. And uh, Lord, I just pray you go with us this week. Let us be salt and light. We are so thankful for what you're doing. And we ask your blessing upon our Hispanic service that follows. And just as they baptize five people today, Lord God, just pray that your blessing would be upon them as well. Lord, we give you the thanks. We ask in your holy name. And everybody said, amen. Praise God. God bless you this morning. And greet each other as you leave. Amen. If you're wanting to do... If you're wanting to do the small group on Thursday nights, it's going to be Thursday nights. Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Rebecca's there. We're going to be doing the Gospel of John. So connect with her if you're wanting to do Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. All right? If you are wanting to be baptized, you can be baptized at 145. I'll actually get wet if you want to be baptized.